Welcome to episode 181 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast this week, we're going to dig into the problem of the future of diversity in the tech industry. So this is a hot topic that has been getting, I think, a little bit more attention over the past uh, months of 2016. And I think that, uh, you know, as we examine the the tech industry generally, we can begin to see that the the diversity patterns aren't as as good as maybe we would like them to be. And what that means ultimately is that there are certain types of people, usually uh, white or Asian males who sort of dominate the the tech, the software industries uh, to, I, I wouldn't say to the detriment of, but to the uh, exclusion of, uh, you know, uh, females and, and minorities. So there's been a bit more uh, attention paid lately with large companies uh, sinking some money into increasing their uh, diversity and at least on on sort of the outside appearances trying to make more of an effort. We know that there are um, various organizations to uh, encourage girls to code, for instance, or I know our friend Bobby Carlton has a uh, uh, innovation women initiative to get more uh, women, uh, uh, technical women on, on panels at, um, conferences, because as you know, when you go to a conference and, and see who the speakers are, it's more likely than not that those speakers are going to be, uh, you know, white or Asian males and not too many women either. So uh, as, as, as we start to look into this topic, Dirk, I, I know this is one that is pretty important to you and that you've, you've thought a lot about, uh, what's your sort of initial salvo at, at this uh, effort to make tech more inclusive? I mean, both from a, you know, the current state of the industry and then, you know, maybe things that we can we can all do to to make it more inclusive, generally speaking. Yeah, I, mean, I want us to be clear on what, what when we talk about diversity and inclusivity, both of which are important to me. What exactly are we talking about? Because I I sort of wryly noted that. You know, you mentioned, um, you know, minorities after mentioning that Asian men were very um, present in, in the tech community. The, the community that I came from, um, a little su- suburb called Sylvania, Ohio, um, with, which had a very highly rated public school system that I attended, and the non-white people could be counted on my hands in the school of over a thousand people, more or less at that time, has become more diverse since then. Um, from from my perspective, um, being an Asian male is, within a culture that was historically white males is a part of diversity. And, and Asian males in our culture, certainly in the subculture that I grew up in that was very white and, and sheltered, um, would have been considered a minority. You excluded that group from, from being a minority. So let's be... I'm interested in your framing, and let's be really clear about what we're talking about when we say diversity and inclusivity. Right. Yeah, I think the the tech industry does have you know a, a good number of of Asian males as, you know as part of it, and I think it would be 
And by Asian males, like let's make that even more specific. Sure. You mean sort of Far East Asian males? Is that what you mean? Or? Yeah, I mean, I would even, I would even, uh, you know, include myself, you know, in in that category, or at least, you know, partly in that category. But uh -huh. but I can think of of uh, you know tech, uh, you know, Asian males who who are tech leaders. It's it's um, I think when we're talking about. Uh, minorities in technology certainly, you know that that would that would fall under the minority umbrella. Although, you know, well represented, I think, uh, as as far as that goes. Um, and then inclusivity would definitely include uh, people from you know all you know all walks of life and 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 you know all races uh, as well. So so that's how I draw those 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 circles. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I lived in Silicon Valley from 2004 or 5 until about 2008-9, so about five years that I was there. And what struck me when I was in Silicon Valley was from a racial and ethnic perspective, it was certainly the most diverse place I had ever been. As a white person, um, this may or may not be true, but my impression was that the, the uh, Caucasian was the fourth most common um, ethnicity. That, um, you know, present around me in the spaces that I worked with knowledge workers were um, Far East Asian individuals. I, I don't know if that's the right term, so I, I'm certainly trying to be inclusive in using that. And I apologize if, if it's not the, the politically correct term. Um, also, Indian individuals, people of Indian descent, which which I definitely distinguish from, from Far East Asian, were, were very common. And then the other, which was not um, within the knowledge work, but in the community at large, was was Hispanic, was um, you, you know what was 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 that culture as well. So, you know, I went to Silicon Valley, and I felt like I was in the most diverse environment I had ever been in. Now, what was missing from that picture were women. Um, certainly, on engineering teams at that time, the men were predominant. I mean, well over ninety percent men, but of of a variety of, of ethnic backgrounds. Um, and as you would get into other parts of the company, say marketing, then you would start to see more women. But with with a little bit of a background in marketing, I would say still somewhat less than maybe I had seen in other industries or in other parts of the country before before I went to Silicon Valley. So it's it's interesting. I, I don't think it's incorrect because there are diversity and inclusivity issues with regard to Silicon Valley and particularly around gender. Um, but another facet of that is that Silicon Valley is also an amazingly diverse place in terms of the, the racial and ethnic participation of the people there. Yeah, I, you know, uh, no doubt there's, there's um, a lot to be said for, for the diversity of Silicon Valley and, you know, uh, San Francisco and, and uh, you know, the Bay Area generally. I, th I think, you know, it's, it is notable that, uh, you know, Automatic recently hired John Maida to be, uh, among other things, uh, you know, a, their their inclusion uh, executive, right? So, so he's um, responsible for other other aspects of uh, sort of the design of of you know the automatic organization. But that is part of his mandate is is to make tech more inclusive. So, I you know it, it's it's interesting that there's this um, aspect of it that you rightly pointed out where 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 the the cultural diversity is there, and then you you kind of wonder how that all breaks down once you start looking at you know the numbers within companies. I saw a figure that uh, women in, in leadership roles was you know something like twenty nine percent 
Um, uh, I saw that in, in Forbes. That may not be, you know, uh, uh, the most recent numbers, but but just that when 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 we look at knowledge work, uh, the fields of you know uh, uh, science. These these are growing fields. These are important fields. Uh, these are fields that, frankly, are are going to have a lot of economic leverage. You know, in the future, they're going to become increasingly important. So I think paying attention to these issues uh, now, as as uh, science and technology become you know increasingly more important, like now's the time to to try to fix these things. John, I never know what to do with statistics like the twenty nine percent that you, you you threw out there because. Superficially, you know, we say, oh, everything should be equal. Equal translates to 50-50. We hear 29%. Like, oh, my God, it's a horrible statistic. It may be a horrible statistic. But I, I, I think in our, um, in our rush to equality, we, we, we're going for equality of outcome when really what we want is equality of opportunity, right? I mean, whether or not a, a similar proportion of women want the same specific job or title or role that men would want in different cases, who knows? I mean, I, you know, anecdotally from living with, with people of different genders and doing different things, I know that there are certain types of people that like to do these things in more proportion, certain like of people that like to do that thing in more proportion. And so I think if, if, if we're looking for 50% in outcomes across the board, I think that's, I think that's short-sighted. I think it's, um, I, I think, I think it's, it's sort of well-meaning liberalism gone overboard. And I think really what's important is that there's a quality of opportunity for everyone that, um, that if a woman is interested in the same role or job or company as a man, that the opportunity should be there equally. The same, you know, and even, I would even argue that because diversity and inclusion are so powerful and important to the benefit of the company and the other employees there, even allowing a, a minority group, whether it be ethnic or gender, advantages to get things closer to par is, is a good thing because the, the diversity inclusion in and of itself is, is beneficial for all. Um, but I think, I think we need to be a little bit more nuanced in, in making sure people, people are paid properly, people have equality of opportunity, but that doesn't translate into a world where necessarily every company's 50-50, every role is 50-50. I mean, that's, um, I think that's really, really short-sighted, but it's, it's where the, the liberal, I'm liberal, right? I mean, but that's where the liberal agenda tends to have. I do want to, um, before I forget, I want to make a couple other comments about Silicon Valley culture. Um, because as, as much as I loved the diversity there, I will say that um, there was never once, and I worked as a consultant, I worked with over 50 different companies, some of them quite large. I worked with, um, I would say, thousands of people actually in ways large or small. Um, there was not a single African-American person who I worked with while in Silicon Valley in these great companies and, in, 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 you know, um, in, in knowledge working roles of importance. So that's certainly um, on, on the sort of ethnic cultural side, mm -hmm. a, a glaring omission. Um, and the other thing I'll say is that there's very few older people working in Silicon Valley. That, Interesting. You know, it's when I was in um, Ohio, which is where I, I was before I started Involution with Andre, um, I was always the youngest person in the room. It was like there's Dirk and then there's a lot of executives who are 40, 50. You know, I was the uh, one of my bosses called me the boy wonder. Um, that was that was my reality. As soon as I started Silicon Valley, moved to moved to um, started Invo and moved to Silicon Valley. How old was I? I was um, I was 30, and I was the oldest person in the room almost immediately. So now I'm working with these CEOs who are younger than me, 
and and like I'm the design bitch, right? I mean, in the beginning, certainly that was sort of the role that I was playing. Um, that was weird, right? And and it really spoke to like the the culture of youth that permeates. Um, particularly the startup culture in Silicon Valley, but it certainly um, matriculates into the large corporations, which are are born of startups as well. So um, anyway, that was sort of winding from a different place. But before I forgot, I just I wanted to, uh, with with more crispness, talk about issues of, of diversity in Silicon Valley, um, you know, as I lived them for, for five years. Yeah, the, the ageism or the uh, sort of lack of diversity when it comes to older workers, I think is an interesting problem, you know, as we're, uh, ex- our, our lifespans are uh, increasing, right? People are working for, for longer periods of time. So you would almost expect that there would be sort of more, um, you know, older workers. And, and in fact, as, you know, as I'm in my 40s now, I can only think about, you know, hey, you know, what what are the things that I'm going to want to do, enjoy doing uh, as as I get older? And, and and I can tell you, I I like working. So at, at some point, I don't you know want to be in a scenario where where I can't work or or it's not as easy to work because, you know, I'm I'm too old for the job. Right. So, I mean, that's probably something that we'll all have to face someday. But that's that's an interesting aspect of it, just because you know that um, with with our longer lifespans, people need income that extends beyond you know what was was expected when uh, uh, these initial retirement ages were were dreamt up. I don't I don't know that I see uh, sixty five as a retirement age, which you know my I'm sur- I'm sure my father uh, thought that way. Um, and he, he retired, you know, a little earlier than that, in yeah. fact. But I, I don't know that I view it that way. So, so that is another sort of lurking, you know, aspect to this inclusion discussion that, you know, I think is, is, worth, is worth going over, especially as we're, um, you know, we're talking about these, these are the industries of the future. The, this, this is where the good jobs are. Uh, so if we're not including certain groups in that, um, as you said, you know, there's there's not that equality of opportunity across the board. Yeah, you know, there's another way to look at it, too. And again, I mean, coming back to Silicon Valley, most of the people there, um, and again, this doesn't speak for everyone by any means, but a majority of the people that I dealt with came from wealthy families. And many of them had Ivy League or sort of top level educations. And one of the things I took from my time in Silicon Valley is it's really um, it's really a culture of wealth begetting wealth begetting wealth over generations. You know, I at one point Invo was doing quite well, quite well, and I talked to my accountant out there who'd lived there for his whole life, and I said, you know, I, I can't even dream of owning a like a big house here. Like, how the hell does anybody afford it? He said, Dirk, the dirty secret with Silicon Valley is these young people, their parents buy them the house in Silicon Valley. And then they, you know, get the job and make their own money. And it's it's year, you know, it's generation over generation over generation. So I, I do want to also speak to a lack of diversity from the standpoint of socioeconomic status, from you know, from from that perspective. And um, I think that's a really important one because I think a lot of people who uh, would be valuable to Silicon Valley would be valuable to technology um, are just shut out because if they want to live a, a comfortable lifestyle 
and they don't have the daddy warbucks um, parent or you know hit the hit the one in ten thousand shot on being with the right startup or um, or some other um, either existing money or super unusual circumstance. You just you can't have the same quality of life there as you can have you know in in the Midwest or even here by comparison. Um, so you know when we talk diversity inclusion, that tends to very quickly go to you know racial, ethnic, or gender. But there's other ways to look at it, and I think socioeconomic status is a big one, and it's definitely one that also um, in parts speaks to why there is an absence of a certain racial and ethnic uh, backgrounded individuals in the knowledge work of Silicon Valley, for example, too. Sure. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. Let's let's pivot a little bit and and talk about. So so we talked about some some of the issues uh, regarding diversity and technology. So so I wanted to uh, change direction slightly and and talk about how how we you know, potentially change that, right? So we have the example of of uh, John Mato over at at Automatic with uh, with with his new position there. I mean, does it does it make sense for there to be a chief inclusion officer as part of? I mean, sort of in in the in the orbit of human resources, but looking at the design of the organization to sort of benefit, uh, whether that be. Uh, you know the 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 design or engineering or um, executive. You know to to make sure that there's there's representation there. Or or is that taking it too far? Is that is is it something that should just be uh, baked into policy? But but it's not really uh, it's it's not really someone's separate line uh, to take care of. What's your take on that? I think it's totally a question of maturity. I think for now today, it's absolutely appropriate. It's it's valuable. It's um, it's it, it's 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 not just that that person can be empowered to make things happen. The very presence of it is a signifier of of the seriousness of the investment that the company is taking. Now, in twenty years, I don't think there should be anybody with a title like that because we should have in in the culture of business generally in our society, um, you know, from a more overarching perspective, has sort of moved beyond this. You know, um, uncomfortable moment. You know, we're right on the. Um, it'll be over by the time this is published, but we're right at the doorstep of this election. You know, with sort of the death rattle of the, the you know the conservative white male here. You know, embodied in in Donald J. Trump. Um, hopefully, in twenty years, that death rattle has turned into um, death, and and we've buried um, you know some of that uh, backward, um, undeveloped thinking. Uh, culturally speaking, and so we'll be to the point where we don't need to have an inclusion officer. That it's it's just more a part of how we function. Um, but for today, I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's 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 something to take on and and grapple with because you know we've had uh, obviously eight years of President Obama, and you know the. The uh, issues of diversity in the country have certainly been brought bubbling to the surface. But as for whether we have really good ways of, of dealing with these issues, I, I don't I don't know that we that we do. I think we struggle with it here in the United States, probably like, you know, anywhere else. But we are a melt, you know, uh, the melting pot of the world. Right. So we take. Uh, people from everywhere, you know, who come here to to find 
you know, a better a better way of life and entrepreneurial opportunity. So so you would think, you know, at the core of entrepreneurial opportunity, uh, which is, you know, in Silicon Valley, there's there's this this promise there that you can you if you have a good idea, then uh, you can build it into something. So, so that's an interesting interplay of our society's highest ideals, and then you know, sort of with the reality of of uh, you know what it means to try to make that work. And I, by no means do I think that this is going to get uh, solved overnight. And and the question is being asked: is is it worth having this diversity of viewpoints? Because you know, as you pointed out, there's there's a lot of people who maybe think that diversity of viewpoints is not so great. Uh, and would rather have one viewpoint uh, or or one viewpoint that dominates and other viewpoints that follow along sort of meekly. Uh, so so we have that problem as well. Uh, and there's all sorts of clashes going on there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to respond to stupidity, so I'm not even going to try. But, but I, I, you know, I, single viewpoint, I mean, that's, that's you know, the, I, I, I feel sad for those people and I hope. I hope that um, they're lifted from ignorance at some point. But um, listen, the... This country, you know, how, how much longer this country is going to be the leading world power, how long this country is going to be a leading world power, how long this country is going to be a country in the form that, that we understand it now are, are total unknowns, the years, decades, centuries. But at some point it will end. It will decline. It will, it will cease to be the way that we know it now. And the, the, great, the greatness that will be remembered from the United States, from this uh, experiment, as, as, as it's often called, is diversity and openness. It's not the Constitution, because the Constitution is not nearly one of the best uh, democratic constitutions written. It has slavery. It has a lot of effing problems, right? That document is not what people think it is. Um, the, the flag, the, the national anthem, all that nationalist rubbish, not at all. But in the United States, the, the openness and the diversity, the spirit of that, that has, has been among the leaders in, in the 20th century into the 21st century of openness, inclusivity, bringing everyone in, benefiting from the, the multicultural, multi-ethnic, uh, vibrant uh, participation of a lot of different people. That's what's going to really matter. And that's what um, one of the positive legacies, I, I'm, I fear most of the legacies are going to be negative uh, for the United States. But I think on the side of the positive legacies, it is these these issues of social liberalism in practice. And I mean, there, there are things I'm proud of and there are things I'm certainly happy to see um, the business world at large and, and the tech community more specifically taking seriously and investing in because it will be to its best benefit as well. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at goinvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 181 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett. 
and we'll see you next time.